loved Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for such love that you've manifested to the world that you should go to there that cross and to die for the sins of many. I want to ask you as we approach your word this morning, Lord, that you would forgive us of sin, that you would fill us with the power of your spirit. I pray that you would use your vessel today for your glory. I pray that there will not be anything in me that would get in the way of what you want to do in the hearts and lives of people. Lord, I pray for each one that is here that they may open their their ears and their hearts uh, to what you have to say to us. Lord, we need your wisdom not only to hear your word but to be doers of it that will not be forgetful hearers. I certainly pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't yet know you as Savior, that they would be born again before they leave the place. Lord, I pray for your people. May we be reminded once again of the cost of our salvation. May we be inspired to serve you with greater zeal and greater dedication and to surrender once again our full, our all unto you. Bless yourself. Bless the service today, Lord, and exalt yourself. Glorify your name. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. On Resurrection Sunday, our thoughts are turned both to the sufferings of Christ for our sins and to the glories of his resurrection from the dead. Understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the keystone of our faith. Without the resurrection, as Paul says, we are of all men most miserable. The resurrection gives the happy and victorious ending to the history of the cruel crucifixion. Our hope of eternal life is realized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this, Christianity differs from all the other major faiths of the world. We serve a risen Lord. Not dead idols of stone and wood, nor messiahs that are long since dead and gone. Jesus declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead is rightfully our Master, our Savior, our King, and our God, all because of the resurrection. This we celebrate today and in reality throughout the rest of the year. I can't help wondering, however, how many people in this world are fully aware of the import of the resurrection of Christ. To most, this weekend is just another opportunity to get out to the beach or to hide eggs for children to find or even to enjoy the joys of chocolate. Uh, I don't think you heard me when I said that. I'm going to repeat that now. (laughs) Nothing wrong with any of those things, but you understand that that's not really what the day is about. Some perhaps could tell you that Easter is about resurrection, but even to most of them, it's almost an afterthought with most of the weekend being given to other pursuits. I want to talk to you this morning about the resurrection. But first, I have to remind you of the path of suffering that led there. We'll be focusing our attention this morning on the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, which we've just read, with many forays into other parts of the Scripture to confirm and to solidify the meat of this particular passage. Most of what you hear today is not new. There's no new truth I found in the Word of God. It is, however, the foundation of our faith. And so it should be often repeated until we've learned it at the heart level. If you want a title, we're talking today about God's suffering and glorified servant. We'll first look at the suffering of Christ on the cross. 
After that, we'll talk for a few moments about what it means in terms of glory, and we'll try to finish up with a promise and a warning based on what Jesus did. Now, those of you that know me well know that it will be, I'll be doing really good if I get through all of this. So, But hang on, we're going to go pretty quickly. We're going to try to get through it all because this is a very important subject that we're considering today. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the shame and suffering of the cross. Obviously, before the glory of the resurrection, there was what we often call in common usage or in common religious terms, the Passion Week. This was the the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was the time of his humiliation. It was the time of his suffering. It was the time of his deep despair, humanly speaking, and yet obviously our Lord never despaired because he is uh, the one, the God who has come in the flesh. He's God come with the purpose of suffering for mankind. But as we look at the shame and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, I draw your attention once again to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, verses 3 through 5 of our text this morning, where the Bible says that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We're reading here of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fine line to be drawn here because many times we've placed so much emphasis on the physical sufferings of Jesus Christ that we forget all of the rest that went into both the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But having said that, I have to remind you that the nature of his suffering involves some physical torment. Jesus was a man. He was fully man. We talk about this quite often around here, the fact that Jesus was all man and he was all God. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. We call that the hypostatic union. If you want to impress your friends this afternoon, you can use that word on them. They won't have an idea what you're talking about, but nonetheless, there you go. It has to do with the fact that Jesus is all God, that he is all man, that he came to this earth as God become flesh, and yet he lived this earthly life as a man fully surrendered to his heavenly Father. But as a man, he endured the same physical torments that you and I would have in that same ordeal. The physical pain that Jesus suffered on the cross and that we've heard so much about even in song this morning uh, was where we often get, you've heard the term excruciating, talking about pain, right? Uh, Actually, the word excruciating means literally from or out of the cross, It is a reference to the pain, the suffering that Jesus suffered there on the cross of Calvary. That pain of the cruel and harsh beating. The pain of having his beard literally plucked out of his face. The pain of the thorns. The pain of the nails in his hands and in his feet. But I have to tell you this morning that that was not the worst torture of the cross of Jesus Christ. I do want to draw your attention to the 50th chapter of the book of Isaiah, where in prophecy, Isaiah foretold the sufferings of our, the physical sufferings of our Lord when it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Reminded as well of the 129th Psalm, David in this messianic Psalm is singing about uh, the sufferings of our Lord. And he says, the plowers plowed upon my back. 
obviously were in reference to the beatings that he endured of the scourgings or uh, from the Roman whips there. It says they made long their furrows. You can read the rest of the passage there. Uh, the point is that the pain, the cruel suffering of the cross, the physical suffering was very real, and our Lord endured it just as you and I would have endured it had we been in that same place. But the suffering of Christ on the cross didn't stop with the physical pain. It went beyond that. We've talked about the fact that man is a three-part being. God created us in his image. He created us with body, soul, and spirit. And the sufferings of Christ on the cross uh, encompassed all parts of his being. Let me talk to you for a moment about the emotional suffering of Christ on the cross. That is his soulful suffering, if you will. The Bible tells us that he suffered shame and reproach because of the cross. In fact, if you go back to the third verse of Isaiah 53, the Bible says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. The Bible says he was despised and we esteemed him not. Do you think Jesus enjoyed, humanly speaking, being despised? Do you think that Jesus enjoyed being rejected? We've often pointed out to you that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The ones that he had come to die for, the ones that he had come to give himself for, rejected all that he was doing that day. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 15, verses 29 through 32, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Now, obviously, they didn't understand the prophecy that Jesus had made, but nonetheless, imagine with me for just a moment, if you will, this one who is God become flesh, this one who is and recall, can recall in his, in his mind and in his emotions the very creation of the world, the one that formed these very people that stood before him and mocked him and ridiculed having to endure by his own choice and because of his deep love the ridicule of these rebellious, despicable, sinful creatures. It says in verse 31, Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, him he cannot save, himself he cannot save. These are the religious leaders, those that purport to serve the God, whom Jesus is. And yet... They're ridiculing him as he hangs there on the cross. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, they said, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him also. Not only do we have the rabble on the streets ridiculing the Savior, we have the religious leaders ridiculing the Savior. We have the very thieves that are crucified on either side of him ridiculing the Savior. What I'm trying to tell you, folks, is that there was emotional suffering going on at the cross as well. There was shame. Because of what the people were saying and because of what he knew in his heart concerning their relationship to the God whom he represented. Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you catch that word? He endured the cross despising the shame. Somehow or other, we get it in our mind that Jesus was just able to block all those things out. I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of Scripture that Jesus despised the shame of the cross and is set down now at the right hand of the throne of God on high. Psalm 69 in verse 19 says, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries all are, are all before thee. 
Jesus suffered emotionally. He suffered the shame, the shame and the reproach of the cross. He suffered the ridicule that you and I deserve for our sin. But I have to say that the greatest suffering of the cross, I believe, was that which Jesus suffered spiritually. I've talked to our folk about this quite often, but this is one of the great truths of Scripture. Isaiah 53, verse 4, the Bible says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, catch this, smitten of God and afflicted. It was one thing for Christ to be afflicted by man. But now he who has never been separate from his heavenly father throughout all of eternity for this moment in time because of your sin and mine is separated and afflicted of God. He is spiritually tormented. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 23, the Bible says that his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, talking about one who is executed or put to death for crimes. But the Bible says, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. Some would like to say, well, that curse was lifted in the case of Jesus, to which I say baloney. The curse of God was why he was there, folks. That thy land be not defiled, and the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, listen to this, being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. One of the most astounding truths of the cross is that he who was holy, he who is just, he who is perfect in every sense of the word, he who is literally the creator of all of the mankind and who has suffered the rebellions of mankind throughout history because of his deep love for us, took upon himself not only the ridicule of his creatures, but the rejection and affliction of the Father. I remind you once again, that Jesus did not suffer for our sins in hell. He suffered for our sins, being rejected by his Father on the cross. Which is why he cried out in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was not asking this question for lack of information. He knew why the Father had forsaken him. He was asking the question for your benefit and for mine, that we might recognize, that we might understand that in this moment, Jesus Christ was suffering the just condemnation for sin, separation from God, the Creator, death, as it is appointed unto men once to die. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so we move on quickly to the purpose of his suffering. Not only do we have the nature of his suffering, but we have, according to the scriptures, we have the reasons why he suffered. Now, there are many fold, you understand, but there's one primary purpose for the Lord's suffering. I want to tell you that Jesus suffered this morning as a substitute. Now, by that I mean that Jesus literally, when we say that Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, we're not just saying that he died because of our sins. We're saying that he took upon him our sins. He took our place. He literally took the spot that we, that we deserve. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is that you deserve to be on the cross. 
I deserve to be on the cross because of our rebellion against God. And Jesus said to the Father, no, take me instead. He bore our sin, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did deceive him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Understand when he says this, that he's not just saying that he was bruised because of these things, but literally he, they, these are the things that caused it. These are the things that brought about his suffering. That which we deserved, he took it. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6 makes it very clear. You can't see it there on the board, but you should know the verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. The Bible says, and with the, uh, excuse me, and with the, uh, I'm going to go back over here. He was, <laughs> he was numbered with the transgressors. He poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Apologize for the, the snafu with the, with the, overhead there but you understand the point is that jesus is suffering as our substitute hebrews 9 verse 28 so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many that is to carry them in their stead unto them that look for him he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation i love what it says in first peter chapter 2 who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed Jesus is our substitute. He bore our penalty. He took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, most of you that know me know that this is one of my favorite verses. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, the miraculous transfer of position. I became like Christ. First he had to become like me. He took my sin so that I could become his righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So Jesus suffered as our substitute. Secondly, Jesus suffered as our sacrifice. We don't have the time this morning. Stacey did such a great job singing about it. You didn't hear a word that she said, but you understood everything that was going on, right? As she sang about the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God, crucified from before the foundation of the world, that he was sacrificed for our sins. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus is the Old Testament sacrifice. Now listen, the good thing about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the great thing about his sacrifice is that the sacrifice of the blood of the bulls and goats in the Old Testament would cover the sins of the people for a year. It would push them back. And remembrance would be made again of them the following year on the Day of Atonement. When Jesus Christ came, he suffered once for all to pay the price of the sacrifice of the sins of all mankind all those that would receive him. Once and for all, the Bible says, he was our sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, 
forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our sacrifice. And I love this. Jesus is our satisfaction. Now, I'm not just talking about satisfying, making us feel fulfilled. I believe that there's entirely too much emphasis on God's people feeling fulfilled today. Listen, if you just get in and get doing what you're supposed to be doing, serving the Lord, you will feel fulfilled, fulfilled, okay? That's not what it's all about. It's not about meeting your needs. It's not about making you feel all happy and joyous. All the, listen, you can't serve Jesus without being happy and joyous if you really understand what he's done. But I'm talking here about satisfying God. The Bible talks about Jesus being our propitiation. In fact, if you go over Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know that verse, right? The next verse says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth. In Jesus. The Bible says that he has made him to be a propitiation. Now, I would ask you to raise your hand, but I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning. I wonder how many of us really fully understand what the word propitiation means. Let me just make it easier for you. The word propitiation actually means satisfaction. Expiation, if you will, atonement. Jesus is the satisfaction of all of the demands of God because of sin. As his blood was applied to the holy place in heaven, the Bible says that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. Listen, it's one thing to make the sacrifice. It's another thing to have the sacrifice received and accepted. The Bible says that his sacrifice, his offering was an odor of a sweet smell, well-pleasing. Unto God. First John chapter 3, verse 5 says this, You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of the same, uh, same passage, First John. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is, there's that word again, the propitiation for our sins. He satisfies the demands of God because of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Listen, folks, if you're going to serve Christ, you need to learn what propitiation is. Propitiation means that God is fully satisfied. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made there on the cross of Calvary. He is the full embodiment of the mercy seat where the very presence of God, atonement, is made for sin. Jesus has satisfied the demands of God against sin. I tell you this morning that our mercy seat is not beaten metallic gold, as beautiful as that may have been. But it is the untarnished and uncomparable gold of God's dear only begotten Son, who was beaten by man and by God, and his precious blood was sprinkled, not to dampen the wrath of God against sin, but to satisfy it altogether. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus 
suffered as our substitute. He suffered as our satisfaction. He suffered as our sacrifice. But here's where we're going. This is Easter Sunday morning. This is Resurrection Day. We're here to remember not just the sufferings of the cross. We're here to remember the glory and the power of the resurrection. Listen, folks, this is, this is the good news that caps off the gospel. That Jesus is alive. You need to understand that the way to glory for Jesus Christ was through the way of the cross. Go back, if you would, to Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. The Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yea, he hath put him to grief. When he, Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We understand that because of the sufferings of Christ, because he was being obedient to his Father unto death, even the death of the cross, the next step beyond that was glory. Luke chapter 24, verse 26 says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verses 46 and 47, he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He told his disciples over and over again that he must suffer and then rise from the dead. First Peter chapter 1, verse 11 says, Suffering water, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and then the glory that should follow. You see, folks, and this is key. We've got to get this down. The gospel doesn't stop at the cross. In fact, I could say in a sense that it starts on the third day following the cross. Because by his resurrection, Jesus demonstrates the approval of God upon his sacrifice. Through his humility, he is exalted, the Bible tells us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned now with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Through his humility, Jesus was exalted. The Bible talks about the joy that was set before him in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, a verse that we read previously. He said that who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Why did he despise the shame? Why did he go through all of that? Because there was a joy on the other side of the cross that began the day he rose from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 9, the Bible said, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. 
In thy presence is full of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. We could talk to many other passages of Scripture. We'll not take the time to do that at this time, but understand that Jesus is talking about and the Scriptures are talking about in all these passages the glory of the joy that was set before Jesus Christ after he went through the cross. Ultimately, I would say that his greatest joy is given to us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The Bible talks about bringing many sons to glory. The fact that we are saved by him. Listen, one of the greatest joys, I believe, of Jesus on the cross was looking beyond the resurrection when you and I would have opportunity to receive him as our Savior. We could be adopted into the family of God. We could be transformed in our very natures to become godly saints of the Most High. This is the joy that was set before him. And listen, as much as you're looking forward, if you're a child of God, to spending eternity in heaven with Christ, can I tell you, he's looking forward to it even more than you are. You say, how do you know? Look at the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he's looking forward to seeing you there in heaven when you die as well. Now, I've got to conclude this morning, and I've got to hurry along, but I want to talk to you very quickly in conclusion about a promise and a warning. This is just wrapping it up. This would be what we would call the conclusion of the sermon, all right? A warning and a promise. The promise, of course, is the promise of eternal life. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, and even as the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, and verses 23 through 25, the Bible says, For they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. Now, those of you that have been around here long know that the West Texas translation of verse 25, he is able to save them plumb, right? He's able to save them all the way and forever, eternally. He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God promises us in Jesus Christ by his sufferings on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, he promises us eternal life. And then beyond that, he promises to give us in him all things particularly all things that pertain to life and godliness. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the promise, folks. But there is also a dire warning. The warning is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear hebrews 10 verse 29 of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the son of god he counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in a holy thing and done despite the spirit of grace what's that talking about folks this morning i've done the best that i know how to tell you about the great love of jesus our savior about the tremendous cost of our salvation what it costs God to redeem us. And yet God will force his grace upon no man. 
The Bible tells us that those of us who would be saved must call upon the name of the Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that all that we've talked about today, the sufferings of Christ on the cross, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, have absolutely no relevance to you if you don't receive them. And in fact, rather than being your salvation, if you reject Jesus Christ, they will be your condemnation. The dire warning of Scripture is clear. And so I invite you this morning, if you're here without Jesus Christ, if you don't know him as Savior, won't you come and receive Jesus Christ this morning? Have you met the one who suffered and died for you? Have you trusted him for the redemption of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins? And you, child of God, are you constantly aware of the cost of your redemption? Do you serve him faithfully? Because of the glory that's been revealed in him and shall be revealed in you. In short, what have you done with the risen Lord? Will you stand with me, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, I thank you for bringing us to your house this morning. I thank you for the truths that you've revealed to us in your word. I pray that you would overlook at this moment our stammering lips and our inability to effectively communicate all that you would have us to know. But, Lord, we, we lean on you. Your, te- your, your Holy Spirit is our teacher. You're the one, you are the one who leads us into all truth. So I pray that you would do that even now, that you would convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We might understand our need of you, those who don't know you as Savior, and even those who do, that they would recognize that it's all because of the cross and the burial and resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Recognize the power that we have in him. Lord, I want to ask you very simply, very plainly, that you would speak to us now at the invitation time and that we, your children, would be obedient. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to sing, if God's touched your heart, the altars are open, won't you come? 342, 342, just as I am.